Welcome to Direct and Current, an audio broadcast presented by Electrical Business Magazine. I'm Anthony Kapkin. Joining me today is Tom McKay, a Canadian registered safety professional and National Construction Safety Officer. Besides holding these esteemed designations, Tom previously held the position of Director of Health, Safety and Environment at a high-voltage electrical construction company and worked at the Ministry of Labor as an Occupational Health and Safety Inspector and as a Provincial Offenses Officer. And just recently, Tom joined the Electrical Contractors Association of Ontario as Health and Safety Director, where he will provide, and I quote, reasoned and practical information, assistance, guidance, leadership, and timely advice to members regarding health and safety matters and emerging issues. Well, we all need the best advice possible during these times, so welcome, Tom, and thanks for joining me in a discussion about COVID-19. Now, Tom, it's perhaps best to begin at the beginning, so to speak. So tell me, what is COVID-19? So coronaviruses are large family of viruses. Uh, Some cause illnesses in animals, some cause illnesses in humans. Corona-19 is a new coronavirus, new in that we haven't seen this variation of coronavirus in humans before. Uh, It transfers very readily and quickly throughout the community, as we've all seen. And that's the problem with COVID-19. It just moves so fast. Now, there's one question that I'm probably going to tackle it right now, as opposed to waiting until the end. Uh, I've heard it said from some that COVID-19 is, for lack of a better term, a hoax. It is a bad flu at worst, overblown by the media to biblical proportions, and killing economies globally unnecessarily. Is the scare overblown? Are, Are we overreacting? I don't think we were overreacting, as we can see in the hospitals, example, in Italy and and France and some of the countries, New York City in the U.S., you can see how COVID-19 moved so quickly that it overwhelmed the healthcare system. So, no, I, I, I think what is true, like in any rumor, there's pieces of truth in there. Many people are asymptomatic. They don't have any symptoms. Most people are not going to have these serious effects of coronavirus. I wouldn't mind getting into uh, talking about some of the uh, confusion and and misinformation uh, where COVID-19 is concerned. I know you had mentioned that there's a lot of confusion around uh, masks and face protection. Uh, Perhaps you can tell me uh, where the confusion is and how to sort that out. One of the biggest areas confusion that I have noticed because I've answered many, many questions around masks and and respirators. And people have confused a mask with a respirator, and they're not the same thing. So where you hear terminology like N95 or P100, those are respirators. And they're called respirators because they meet a very specific set of parameters. They're a filtering face piece respirator, and they filter out particles of a certain size. I believe it's 0.3 micron for an N95, which is enough to filter out the Corona-19 virus. Those respirators require a person to be fit tested and medically fit, so because they tax, they tax you a little bit when you're trying to breathe through them. So you would be fit tested and that is to make sure that you have a, a proper seal around and no Corona-19 virus could get in through the sides of the mask. You have to breathe in through the filter. So when you uh, see a surgical mask, that kind of a mask 
does not filter those particles. It is meant so that you don't contaminate somebody else. So the bottom line is they are to protect other people, not to protect you. When you're in close proximity, you can't practice uh, physical distancing, then it should be an N95. Interesting, interesting. And you're right. I've heard so many people, you know, use uh, the word, and I'm probably guilty of it as well, too, using mask interchangeably with respirator. So I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that distinction. Now, I know soon we're going to get into the job site and best practices, but earlier we had talked about contact with the virus when it may be lingering on surfaces. So cleaning of surfaces is very important. Along those lines, do we have any consensus yet in terms of how long the virus may live and, and be active on different types of surfaces, whether it's uh, you know cloth material on your clothing or a hard surface like I don't know, your car door or a door handle? Uh, and what is the best way for, for killing it, making sure it's clean? The length of time the virus lives on a surface depends on what the surface is. But some of the ones that I've read, and I might not have this exactly right, but on glass, three days to four days, or on stainless steel, three or four days, on uh, paper or cardboard, could be as little as a couple of hours. And for cleaning it, uh, most people are saying an alcohol-based solution with uh, 60 to 70% alcohol. Soap and water, yeah, we'll do it. So soap and water on your counters, this uh, virus, from what I'm reading, has a very thin skin, So, and that's why soap and water is one of the most effective things to use to clean, including your hands. So I think that's another misconception. Many people think that an alcohol-based solution or sanitizer around your hands is the best thing you could possibly use when, in fact, soap and water is the preferred method. One of the things that I've realized over the last few weeks, at first I was really probably overly cautious, not that I, you don't need to be cautious. However, I have a better understanding now that is if I wash my hands and I don't touch my face, I'm going to be okay handling a box or a package or clothing or even touching a, a surface. Not that I would want to touch a surface with quote 19 on it. However, <laughs> if you come into contact with it, it has to get into your body. So it has to get into your mouth, your nose, your eyes, and th those are the ways that it gets in. So, so just be a, a good gatekeeper for those uh, gates into our inner workings. So we've sort of set the stage in terms of uh, what COVID-19 is. Now let's get to the job site. Ideally, all our listeners should have health and safety committees, plans for uh, working safely and the like. What has changed for them against the backdrop of COVID? So in my opinion, not a lot has changed as far as responsibility and planning goes. We need a policy around how we're going to deal with Corona-19 on the work site. And that policy is going to lay out sort of in general terms, might talk about signage and uh, pre-work screening. Accompanying that policy will be a procedure that will talk specifically about how you are going to deal with Corona-19 prevention on that particular site. As you can imagine, every construction site is different. You might have 500 workers on a construction site or you might have two workers on a construction site. You might have to get into an elevator to get up to the 50th floor 
or it might be a single level building. So it's all very different. What you need is a plan on how you're, you are going to practice social distancing. Or sorry, not social distancing. It should be physical distancing in my mind. Uh, so how are you going to protect those workers? Ideally, you're, you are going to have those methods in place and the planning in place so that the physical distancing can be maintained on the site regardless of what that site is. So obviously it takes some planning. You also have to plan on where you can't maintain that physical distancing and how you're going to deal with that. So going back to what we talked about before, it would be N95 respirator inside the six and a half feet or two meters of uh, physical distancing that you can't maintain and that would have to be planned. Wires training. So you can't just give somebody a respirator. They have to be trained on the proper fit care and use of that respirator. As, as you mentioned, job sites vary. Could be a 50-story building, could be a ground level one-story building, could be someone's right. home. So, so let's, let's take it very small. Let's go with um, someone's home. Let's say it's a larger home uh, and we're looking at a, a two-man crew uh, that's going in to do electrical work in this residence. And the residence is occupied now, not necessarily occupied by people with the virus or people under quarantine or anything like that, just regular folk. And they've got contractors coming in to do work. What sort of steps should that crew and, and the employer of that crew now be taking to ensure their safety, the worker's safety, and perhaps also the, the safety of the homeowners? So first of all, it starts with the policy and the plan. So again, you get back to the plan, how, where are we working? So you would have to look at what the scope of work is and how you can separate, uh, first of all, the family members or the homeowner from the workers and make sure those uh, paths don't cross. And then you would look at things like commonly touched surfaces, things that are commonly touched by people, whether they be workers or homeowners. But in this case, let's stick with the workers. Part of your plan would be the sanitization of those commonly touched tools, equipment, door handles, those kinds of things to make sure that you're not leaving coronavirus uh, there, either for your coworkers or for somebody else. So you have to plan out based on the scope of work, how am I going to keep these workers six and a half feet apart? That might involve things like having them go into the building separately, not walking in together. Uh, so for two, it's very easy. One can walk in and one can, the other one can walk in 30 seconds later. So you would have a protocol in place to, uh, to clean and disinfect those commonly touched surfaces. You'd also have a protocol in place for hand washing. They may or may not have gloves. You may or may not need gloves. Uh, coronavirus will also live on a glove. So, you know, it's, uh, I believe that hand washing is, is the best way. So you would need a facility to do that. For example, you wouldn't want to walk through the house and use the facilities in the house. Probably an outdoor facility with good uh, hygiene uh, facilities around that, soap and water. And if you can't get soap and water, some kind of hand sanitizer, alcohol-based sin hand sanitizer uh, would be in place there. So essentially you've got to practice, uh, how am I going to keep these workers apart? If I can't keep them apart, then how am I going to deal with that? So maybe they have to pull a cable together, for example. Then it would be an N95 or better respirator. 
because you can't maintain that distance. Some companies uh, I've read about are requiring the surgical kind of mask, so they can't spread that out if somebody does cough. Because remembering that you can be asymptomatic, you might not know you have it. So that is never going to hurt anybody. It's, what it's going to do is stop those droplets from spreading and landing on surfaces and being airborne or aerosol if you sneeze. When it comes to construction sites or, or in the office, uh, wherever it happens to be, should we have separate trash receptacles, kind of like you see separate biohazard receptacles for needles or what have you that you see in some public restrooms? Should we have special receptacles for receiving possibly contaminated tissues? That should be part of your plan. So it should include how are people going to dispose of anything that they touch that's disposable. And I think that should be in a separate receptacle where you know where it is. It's easy to package up and take away as opposed to throwing it into a a bin outside Mm -hmm. the work site that might get blown away somewhere else or possibly come into contact, maybe not with people, but other items and other things that somebody might touch down the road. So it sounds to me like when it comes to the job site, you know, outside of all the regular stuff that you should have health and safety policies in place, you're now focused on two additional things. You're, you're focused on that distancing, the physical distancing. If there are situations where you just cannot provide that two meter, uh, six and a half foot distance, that you do have the proper PPE, N95 or better uh, respirator. Uh, and also cleaning stations so that people can regularly clean their hands and uh, you know avoid touching their faces and stuff. So looking at it from a due diligence perspective, as an employer, if I provide all these amenities and training for my workforce before sending them on to a job site, cleaning stations and you know discussions about distancing and all of that, were someone to actually get sick, would I be able to say with, with sort of a clear conscience as an employer that I did everything I could that's best practices to ensure the health and safety of my employees? Would you be able to say that with confidence? So what I think you need for due diligence is you need to have a policy. You need to have that procedure written. You need to be able to show that you have trained the workers on that and that you've provided the tools and equipment required to carry those procedures out, whether it be physical distancing, regular sanitizing, uh, whatever those things are, respirators, fit tests. So the measure of due diligence is, did I do everything reasonable in the circumstances to protect my workers? Would if I asked, you know, a regular person on the street, do you think these measures are reasonable? And the answer is yes, then that's, you know, you're basically there for for due diligence. And I am glad that you mentioned making sure that everything is written down because I've learned from, well, I've learned from other people smarter than me that if it isn't written down, it didn't happen. So it's important to to code all of this. In my background, I was uh, an inspector. And I agree, if it's not written down, you can't prove it. I think the one thing that uh, maybe we didn't touch on was the psychological effects of what we're doing here. Whether you have COVID-19 or you don't, you're being affected by COVID-19. So there are a number of things that, that I can think of personally. Meditation is one, that's a big one for me. Being able to meditate and just uh, not panic. I think a lot of these news stories and the things that you're driven on panic, 
So not feeding into with social media hype, uh, the sensationalism of, of what this is, but really let's not panic. Let's look at it for what it is. Let's put things in place in our lives where we don't get overwhelmed by the fear or the panic. Well, and I know for my part, I've, I've found a whole lot of projects just around the home are finally starting to get done. Uh, so that's where I've been focusing my efforts. Yeah, Probably. so those things make you feel good. You know, you get those projects done and, and you feel good. No, but excellent. I, I am glad that you brought up uh, the, the mental health issue because these are unprecedented times and it affects different people, different age groups in different ways. We're, we're not alone. We're all in this together. We're, we're all feeling something. But if we think about it, if we talk about it, I think we'll come out okay. I hope we'll come out okay. I think we will. <laughs> we will get through it. It's a hard road, unfortunately. But I don't think it is a panic. I think it's not complicated. It's serious, but not complicated in my mind. Tom, thank you for devoting your time to speak with me today about this. My pleasure. I'm happy to do it. Hope I got to the places where you wanted to get. Hey, if not, I'll just call you back. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> okay, before I sign off, uh, best of luck in your new role with uh, Electrical Contractors Association of Ontario. Well, thanks very much. Appreciate it. And appreciate you reaching out to me as well. <laughs>